internet friends, and welcome back to Love-Hate Relationship, an opinionated podcast for opinionated people. I'm Andy Bowell. And I'm Alex Ruiz, and as always, we're here to brighten your day, anger your soul, and tell you how to live your lives in that order, and... Andy, I don't know, the last time we did one of these normal episodes, you, like, flipped the script on me and came up with something, so now I'm very self-conscious, and I'm sitting here going, like, what should should my topic be? Because I could talk about the Quar, but I think everyone's talking about the Quar, so maybe I a little bit just want to talk about how I'm re-watching 30 Rock or something, I don't know. Oh, okay. No, we're we're gonna hone in on this. This is this can be a micro love or something. Because seriously, like between the office and Parks and Rec and Brooklyn Nine Nine, Thirty Rock stands as my favorite one of those sitcoms. The uh, like, okay, these are people who are spinning off of SNL. Although I guess The Office wasn't really a uh, an SNL spinoff. No, thing, but at but the same like, time, like. Like the office, I throw in there because it it progenated the fake docu sitcom format that Parks and Rec then tried to do. Mm-hmm. Really, like, okay, all right, here we're, we're gonna we're gonna do this. My favorite sitcom of all time is Scrubs, and I think you cut out the last season, and that is an untouchable benchmark. But out of like like Scrubs is like the last holdover of the last sitcom generation. I feel like. And okay. like that's kind of where the the era ends in my brain, and then you got the the modern. Even though half of them are you know over now, the modern run of sitcoms where you've got your Parks and Rec and your Brooklyn Nine Nines, and I as, even as somebody who doesn't really like Tina Fey that much, Thirty Rock stands is my favorite. Okay, so I can see that. I I deeply love Scrubs. I did have Stephanie watch all of Scrubs at some point. Um, by the way, have you heard about the uh, the podcast that Zach Braff and Donald Faison are doing, where they're watching episodes of Scrubs and talking to people who worked on the show? I have. I didn't know they were talking to people who worked on the show. That makes me a degree more interested. Um, yeah, of sort of like they're. I don't love Zach Braff as a person, but I, I very much enjoy JD. So, and I, and I sure, get the sure. appeal of doing a Scrubs rewatch show. Sure. Did you, by the way, did you, and follow up question. Did you ever watch Spin City? Spin City? No. I, I. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, so that was Bill Lawrence's show before he did Scrubs. And a lot of the like actors from Spin City did cameos in Scrubs. Uh, including Barry Bostwick, who was the mayor uh, on Spin City, the mayor of Washington, D.C., and, like, a regular occurring character. Like, the plot... Spin City is basically... Michael J. Fox plays this, like, PR person for the mayor of Washington, D.C., played by Barry Bostwick, and he's an idiot. And he has a staff full of idiots, and so, like, comedy ensues. But it is a truly fantastic show that I think a lot of people have forgotten... But everyone seems to remember Scrubs. Everyone seems to have forgotten Spin City. But Spin City was great work. Like, honestly. The the sitcom from the Spin City-ish era that always stood out to me, and this is like my, my crusty secret 
underrated gem love of a sitcom was Just Shoot Me. I fucking love Just Shoot Me. Heard of it, never watched it. Heard of it, never watched it. That was David Spade's, like, hey, I'm done with SNL, I'm gonna do this now show, and had, um, like, Wendy Malick, who is a a face people recognize. It It was about, like, a Vogue-esque magazine and the trials and tribulations of the office staff. It is a show that nobody thinks about or remembers, but I love it. Sure. I mean, it makes sense. Um, getting back to the original thing you were talking about, though. Of So it's like, okay, it's 30 Rock, it's Parks and Rec, it's The Office, and what was the other one that you said? Brooklyn Nine-Nine, because I Brooklyn Nine-Nine. See, I think Brooklyn... Here's the thing. I put Brooklyn Nine-Nine a little bit later on in that run. Sure. Like, I put Brooklyn Nine-Nine in, temporally speaking, more with, like, The Good Place, which is what Michael Shore... Which is another Michael Shore show um, that he started after Parks and Rec. And I think after Brooklyn Nine-Nine had started, but that show just wrapped up. But I think of Brooklyn Nine-Nine just a little bit later. Um, I agree with you, though, that I think 30 Rock is... The density of jokes in 30 Rock is, like, arrested development level as far as just, like, how wonderful it is. And 30 Rock is so infinitely quotable. Yeah. And just so memorable. And we're—I'm not kidding you. We started a rewatch of it. We're on, like, episode three. So we're still in that period of time before it, like, properly finds its footing. Which I think happens like halfway or even a third of the way into season one. Like, once they they fully establish that everything as far as Jack and Liz are never going to be a couple. Like, as soon as they get that fully out of the way, uh, they establish Kenneth and Tracy as like the weird sidekick craziness characters. And they get Jenna firmly into her crazy level and not right. just her, I'm kind of a diva, but like, I'm also fully insane. <laughs> like, that's when 30 Rock really hits its mark. And I yeah. think that's around, that's like halfway through season one, everyone finally finds their footing. Yeah. Parks and Rec famously sucks for the first season. Yeah, to the point where I, I, the first time I watched it, I legitimately followed everyone's advice, skipped season two, got really annoyed because I like didn't know what was going on. And I, I didn't properly understand why Andy was living in a tent in a ditch, went back to season one, did a couple episodes and was like, no, don't care. Just going to go to the funny. Yeah, like I watched through all of it and it and Parson Rec takes a season and a half. Um, it's halfway through season two when like. Mark Brandanowitz is on his way out when uh, when Ben and Chris become like get onto the cast. And at that point, I don't think they were regulars, but they were on the cast and everyone's and the relationships are far more solidified. Like that's the point where Parks and Rec gets properly good. And that's about when it stops trying to be the office, the office, which I have to admit, I've never like sat down and done a full watch through. Um, the office is the British office at the beginning, and it's not great because the British office is great, and the American office, the first, like, season or so, are just trying to do the British office, and then when it skips all that and builds its own characters, it gets a lot better, but... 
I don't know. I'm trying to think of what's like. Like, I love Brooklyn Nine-Nine. We finished The Good Place. The Good Place is great. I, was about to say, I highly recommend The Good Place. The Good Place is probably my favorite, most recent, like, you know, up until uh, very recently, I could have said it is my most favorite sitcom that is still on the air. Um, that kind of vibe. There, There is a show that I know you've been watching that um, we haven't talked about. Are you talking about One Day at a Time? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've only... So that show, technically it's still running. It had three seasons on Netflix. I have watched all of them now. Uh, It has a fourth season that's going to be on Pop TV, but it got delayed because of COVID. Sure. So uh, I don't know what the schedule is on that, but it is supposed to have a fourth season. That show is impeccable. That show is so good. Uh, and I see entirely too much of my own upbringing in it because it's, (laughs) it's about Cubans, not Colombians, but there's still a whole lot of the, oh, what mental health and allerg, like therapy and allergies aren't real. Like what's wrong with you that you think therapy and allergies are real? You're a Latino. You should be better at this. Like (laughs) that hit me, that hit me deep, deep, deep. And also, it like, it legitimately deals with some really, like, it honestly plays with the idea of, okay, what do you do when you're somewhat traditional, like, Latin American heritage? Oh, and your kid turns out to be gay. Like, how are we going to deal with... And there is nothing funnier than watching Rita Moreno try and figure out how to deal with a person who has non-binary pronouns. (laughs) And it's... It's like it's handled well. It's very charming, and it's also so real, so fucking real. Delightful. I have not given yeah. one day at a time a proper shot yet, but you've talked it up enough that I like. I really want to that and um, Kim's convenience. I need to see that because a few, a number of people who I trust very very much have told me that it's incredible. And so I'm I'm going to have to give Kim's Convenience a shot because I, I didn't even hear about it until very recently. But from what I've heard, it's fantastic. Sure. Speaking of fantastic, do we want to start our show? I'm so proud of that pivot. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, you got to fake it till you make it, Andrew. That's how it deals with my self-esteem and it's how it runs this podcast. We've been doing this for like two and a half years. I, I would hope you're yeah. not still faking it, but anyway. <laughs> Honey, I've been alive for 30 years. Yeah. I'm still faking it. Fair enough. Well, so let's talk about something to make you happy. <laughs> okay. First quick rundown. Uh, all y'all, this is Love-Hate Relationship. Uh, we have a pretty pretty standard structure after the top part where we talk about some bullshit for a minute. Uh, this time it was sitcoms we like, and even then I don't think we did a great job of outlining all of them. Well, I just feel uh, like we could talk for much, much, much longer about sitcoms, so maybe we'll revisit that at some point. Sure. If we ever want to get tricky about a triple, we could maybe talk about Michael Shore, because, I mean, Parks and Rec plus Brooklyn Nine-Nine plus The Good Place, like, the man has done good work. Anyway, um... After after a little top part like that, uh, she is so fucked up, she calls the head the top part. <laughs> Thank anyway, you. <laughs> um, 
we get into our topics where one of us will talk about something that we love, one of us will talk about something that we hate, and then we take a relationship question, uh, sometimes from the internet, sometimes from you, our wonderful audience, and we try and give the best completely unqualified advice that we possibly can. Does that sound uh, like an okay rundown, Andy? Yeah, sounds accurate to me. All right. All right. And uh, I think it's my turn for the love. That's right. So, as always, Andrew, uh, I like to start these with a question. And, uh, spoilers, my topic for this episode, my love, is going to be the music of Carly Rae Jepsen. That said, I was originally going to ask you, Andy, like, what you know of Carly Rae Jepsen before I sent you these notes and we started this discussion, but I'm going in a slightly different direction. I actually sent you a very short eight-song primer of just, like, a few different songs from each of her albums. Uh, Did you get a chance to listen to that? I did. I did indeed. Okay. So um, I would like to know what your overall impressions after listening to it are, since I assume, like most, like most of our audience, you probably only knew Call Me Maybe and not really anything else of hers. You can correct me if I'm wrong about that. Uh, I'm not going to correct you at all. I I knew Call Me Maybe, and I got to get this out of the way. For an embarrassingly long amount of time, I thought Carly Rae Jepsen was Miranda Cosgrove. Holy shit, Andrew. (laughs) Like, I'm talking years. I just didn't realize that they weren't the same person or that it wasn't a glow-up Hannah Montana situation. Because, Alex, you can attest, all these white people look the same. I mean, yes, but I still think that... isn't, Isn't Miranda Cosgrove more an actor than than like a musician well yeah but she was she was in that same like nickelodeon sphere and i just assumed it was an ariana grande demi lovato type career trajectory so okay well that actually you know what that that offers some fascinating insight but um so okay you've admitted that to your own shame (laughs) what did you think of the uh I sent you eight songs, you like did. one from her first album, a couple from her second and fourth, and then three songs from her third. So what did you think overall? I, you know, I really enjoy her music. I feel like it is fun and poppy and catchy without tripping over into like overrated or like saccharine for the sake of just like it's it's so fun and cheesy but it has no real substance like the, the you sent me a song off her first album called bucket and that one was a little bit like okay we're we're figuring some stuff out um, <laughs> i'll talk about that but yeah but you know got into her second and third albums and you sent me guitar string wedding ring and that was the song that like i was sitting there being like okay okay i like these lyrics I can totally dig this. The that's a very evocative like like mental image and the music's good and like I I very much enjoy it. I I had heard I really like you because of a mm-hmm. vine where somebody's singing it at their cat. So I was sure. familiar with that song. Um but mm-hmm. no, just like I I really um it's it's fun and it's energetic without feeling like it is it is too 
commercial poppy. That's that's what I'm trying to say. Sure. I, and over the course of this conversation, uh, I'm going to get this out of the way. I'm going to probably be making a number of both fair and potentially unfair comparisons to Taylor Swift. Sure. I was in my head thinking of the early, like the first Taylor Swift album as like, yeah, what bucket reminded me of. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I, but I appreciate that. So overall you did, you did like it. Yeah. Okay. I dig it. Uh, so awesome. Thank you for that. I'm sure we will return to several of those points. Um, but let me get into the topic. So Carly Rae Jepsen, some basic background info. Born in Mission, British Columbia, that's Canada, for uh, those of you who, you know, went to Florida public schools and took geography in those schools. Uh, In November of 1985, Carly Rae Jepsen is a singer, songwriter, and occasional actress who gained visibility as the third place finisher in season five of Canadian Idol in 2007. Uh, did you know there was a Canadian Idol, Andy? Because I didn't. Nope. Okay. By her own admission, this was the ideal outcome since it gave her a ton of exposure, but she didn't end up with those contractual nightmares that the actual winner and runner-up deal with. Uh, which, if you ever really find out how like terrible Simon Fuller's contracts are, just look at what happened to Kelly Clarkson and Justin Guarini after season one of American Idol, they were truly god-awful. Anyway, a year later, after she scored a record contract, she released her first album, Tug of War, uh, where that first song, Bucket, uh, appears. Uh, It only sold about 10,000 copies, but she did have two gold singles with Bucket and the title track, Tug of War. Overall, it is not a great album. It sounds a lot like pre-read Taylor Swift with, like, these big country influences, and it's really, really, like, unremarkable overall. I sent you Bucket. That is pretty indicative of what that entire album is like. And, and Andy, how would you describe Bucket as a song? Like, literally, just my my, my first thought was pre—yeah, like like, early Taylor Swift. It's very just, like, like marketed for— an eighth grade girl and like, yeah, like it's, it's fine. I mean, I, I, you know, I'd look through the song titles and was like, okay, we're going to get to call me. Maybe we're going to get to really like you. I know she doesn't stay in this sound, but if I was not like, if I didn't even know those two big hits of hers, I might be, excuse me. I might've been a little worried of like, Oh, I, I don't know if I'm going to follow Alex on this one. Yeah, and and I mean, that makes total sense. If that whole album, it's very, like, there's a lot of acoustic guitars, a lot of kind of generic country backing tracks. It's There's a cover of John Denver's Sunshine on My Shoulders, which was, like, which I think was on her original demo, and that's where a lot of it came from. It's very, eh, as an album. I, I really don't recommend it. I really just included the one song from it to give you an idea of where she started from and where she eventually ends up which i mean i will say depending on where mission british columbia is like that could if that is like eastern british columbia then that is that that whole section of canada is very like texas country and that would at least be like 
it would make sense from a these are her roots perspective that that was the sound she started going for him. I'm looking it up right now. Let's see here. Uh, I mean, it's it's not far from Vancouver, but you know, I'm not. I, I mean, I wasn't the, mad about it. The thing is, those really aren't her roots. Like, if you go into what, if you drill down, like she really was a fan of big pop music and like musicals mm, like okay. she she did study acting like stage musical acting in school as and it was kind of while she was in college she kind of made a decision that she cared that she liked music more than like musical acting and decided to pursue like just straightforward music rather than acting as a straightforward profession like that was an that was a decision she made, but she did study both, and that is where she is coming from. When she like signed up for Canadian Idol, she is in the process of starting a swing band to do like swing covers. Huh. I yeah, like that's that's really her roots. Um, but yeah, okay. So she starts off with Tug of War. It's not great. It does. It sells. The album doesn't sell great, but some singles do pretty okay. It's, you know, it's not a bad start for somebody. Uh, three years later, she had recorded material for her second album, Kiss, which included the single Call Me Maybe. That got a boost from Justin Bieber on Twitter. And, like, he actually, like, did a video with him and Selena Gomez and Ashley Tisdale all dancing to it. And that just blew the whole thing up. Uh, Kiss as an album... Uh, which is where Call Me Maybe and the song I sent you, Guitar String Wedding Ring, are on. Um, it's a lot more traditional pop. There are still, like, you can hear actual guitars on it, for instance. Yeah. Uh, it's not all synth poppy or, like, super computerized yet, though there is there is a lot of that in it. Call Me Maybe is obviously the song she is best known for. Like, even now, it's been it's been almost a decade, and that's still the song that a lot of people are just like... She's done two more albums that are fantastic, and I'll talk about those, but when I say her name, that's usually where most people are like, oh yeah, the Call Me Maybe person. The Call Me Maybe girl. Like, that's... Has she done other stuff? Has she? Like, I'm not really, I'm not really familiar with the rest of her repertoire. Right. It feels like talking about disturbed with people and all they remember is down with the sickness. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> Fuck. That is a that is a call that like pierces my heart with the accuracy. <laughs> I I felt like you would understand. Like I'm sit, I sat here thinking about it because the first thing that pops in my head when I think okay, band that people only know one song from, despite the fact that they've had other successes and a great catalog. Usually, I first go to Nirvana. Because, like, Smells Like Teen Spirit was their biggest hit. Like, they ne- it was their first hit. It was their biggest hit. They never got, like, a single that sold quite that much. But they were still successful and very influential. Yeah. And I think Carly Rae Jepsen hasn't been around long enough to be super influential. But she is underappreciated beyond this one song that was her first big song. And, like was really the catapult of stardom and that she's never really got sold as well with. And I immediately go to disturbed and down with the sickness. Cause that's what most they've had other hits, yeah. but like that's still the first place most people go to. Shit. That's, that's amazing. I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, before we move on, I, I actually have an anecdote about call me maybe. Um, okay. Cause I remember you know, the song blew up around, 
early college years for me and an old high school friend of mine wrote a ukulele cover and switched the words around to make it a whole lot gayer um to the point where one of the lyrics was really hope you're gay baby and it was this actually really sweet and delightful like it was just hey i'm gonna make this song implicitly from a female perspective to another female and um, put it out on Tumblr. And I think specifically like sent it to the person that became my friend's wife. And I just always get delightful memories thinking about that. And this little perfect love story that blew up over a song. That is so precious. I love that. I'll try have you to, ever I'll... seen the music video for Call Me Maybe, by the way? No, no, I have not. Okay, it's very cutesy. It is literally like Carly Rae Jepsen playing in like a gar- her garage with like other musicians and she's playing the song. And there's like this hot neighbor dude who lives next door who's like cutting, who's like trimming hedges and washing his car and he's outside. And the whole video, she's like trying to get his attention. And then at the end of the video, he comes over and she's like clearly ready to like flirt with him. And he walks straight over to like the guitarist who's a dude and hands him a nu- hands him his number and he's like, give me a call sometime. Nice. And then he leaves <laughs> and she's just standing there like, oh, it's really precious. Sure. I, I reckon I love that video. Um, yeah. So then, um, after Kiss, and she blew up with that, she did two more albums. She's done two more albums, uh, Emotion and Dedicated, which came out in 2015 and 2019, respectively. So she's got a good three, four albums between, three or four years between every album. And as, as the albums have progressed, her sound has gotten, like, granted, more computerized, a little more synthy, but also her songwriting's gotten more mature, more interesting, um, more electronic, but also just like, there's always this groove and hookiness to all of her music in general. I I was hoping that playlist I gave you would kind of show that evolution. And I think it did. I mean, there, you know, just adding in bucket really helps. Um, I will say I I didn't get to the last song. I didn't get to party for one, but just like go, go from bucket to, six songs later was I didn't just come here to dance and it's like, yeah, okay, yeah. this is the evolution of a person. And I'm reminded cause you mentioned tug of war came out in 2008. That was right mm-hmm. as Taylor Swift had already made her first album and was like, you know, becoming a sensation. I wonder if this was a sort of Beatles, the who kind of, scenario or or take it even farther elvis the beatles were like you know an artist breaks out and they're like okay great we're gonna market you as this because this is what's hot right now and so the first album is very like okay we see you the who basically being the beatles and then fast forward to like one or two albums later and it's like okay no now we're our own sound okay i see you tug of war being a taylor swift album and then you get to, um, you know, Kiss and uh, the third one, and it's uh, emotion. emotion. Yeah, you get to Kiss and Emotion, and it's like, okay, no, this is what Carly Rae Jepsen sounds like. And it's different I, than Taylor Swift. I agree. I, I really think 
I really think there was an attempt to kind of ride this Taylor Swift coattail on that first album. And it it reminds me of 98 Degrees. 98 Degrees started off wanting to do, like, Blue-Eyed Soul. Like, they very much wanted to be, like, a Michael Buble-style, we-want-to-do-like-Frank-Sinatra songs huh. and, like, acapella covers of things. That's That's how they formed. And but they happened to get noticed around the time that the boy band explosion was happening. So the record company goes, Okay, yes, I get it. You know, you want to do all this stuff. Fine, no big deal. We want you to do these pop songs. We want you to basically be like a four person backstreet boys or like kind of a more soulful in sync. And sure. they're like, Cool. Uh, uh, okay, uh, I guess. Okay, why are we wearing, like, tinfoil spacesuits and dancing? We're supposed to just kind of be sitting on stools, snapping our fingers, and, like, singing Sinatra songs. That's that's what we want to do. And they're like, yeah, 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 no. No, that doesn't sell right now. That's not what we're doing. Get up, come on, get down with the sickness. Get up, come on, get down with the sickness. I never knew that, and that makes me really sad for 98 Degrees because I I always relegated them as like the fourth best boy band of that era, I, and and that's completely fair because they didn't want to be a boy band. They wanted to do Rat Pack songs. Bless their heart. Tell me they're doing those now at least. Nope. Oh, okay. Not even a little. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for like this golden shiny happy ending and that's like like yeah you know you go to a 98 degrees concert now and it's it's like a you know it's it's this old timey rat pack thing and nope there are no 98 nope. degrees concerts now nope none at all Drew Lachey did Rent for a minute Nick Lachey has done some solo albums and I think he hosts a TMZ show now well then nobody cares about 98 degrees let's go back to talking about someone happy <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I don't even so I, I don't even care about 98 degrees and I've made myself somehow sadder than like usual on this show. <laughs> oh, sweet boy. Um well, to get back to something happier. Um with Carly Rae Jepsen, like for me just talking about why I love her so much. Um I think like you, like I I heard Call Me Maybe when it came out. I really liked it. I thought it was a cool song. I thought it was really great. Um but I kind of wrote her off as sort of a not-quite-one-hit wonder. Like, she had an, a couple of other singles on that album that did okay, so she wasn't really a one-hit wonder. She had a duet with Owl City that's... I mean, it's better than most Owl City songs, um, but that's how you can tell how dated Kiss kind of is. Like, her big collab on that one, like, was Owl City? Sure. Like... Owl City was her Nate dog. Jesus. It doesn't... Yeah. Yeah. But um, a few years later, you know, I saw the video for I Really Like You off Emotion. Uh, and I don't know if you've seen the video for I Really Like You, but it features a dancing Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is in the video for no reason. He's just hanging out with Carly Rae Jepsen and they dance together. And it's precious. I and mean, that sounds like the Tom Hanks I know who is probably still the only like true paragon of like i can be famous and a good person 
I really do think somebody was just like, do you think if we call Tom Hanks and ask him if he wants to dance in the middle of a street in front of a flash mob, he would do it? And they said, I don't know, let's try. And they called Tom <laughs> Hanks and he was like, sure, I'm free Thursday. Can we do Thursday? <laughs> I can see it. Yeah. So I, I, I heard this song. I was like, this is a dope song. Great video. Um, I'll go ahead and check out this album. And that was Emotion. And I fucking love Emotion. My favorite Carly Rae Jepsen song is Run Away With Me, which is the first which is the first track on Emotion. And I like passionately love this song. I hold it up as like a perfect pop song, personally. It's nothing but hooks all the way down. It has this great verse rhythm to it with a soaring chorus, these sweep effects, this crash percussion. It's just absolutely incredible. Um and from there, I was like, cool, I love emotion. Let me go back to her other stuff. And I went, okay, that's when I listened to Tug of War. And I went, okay, this isn't great. And I listened <laughs> to Kiss. And I went, this is a legitimately wonderful pop song. And I'm kind of upset with myself that I only really listened to Call Me Maybe. And I didn't really think about any of the other songs. And I didn't listen to the album back then. So... I listened I listened to her whole catalog at that point. I was like, these two albums are fantastic. And then um the video for Party for One dropped in twenty in like late twenty eighteen. And that video is also fantastic. Like that video is literally that's a song about masturbation, by the way. It's basically just like, okay, you don't want me, but I love myself, so I'm gonna fuck myself and your loss. That's well, that's. I I will say I really appreciate that, and just like a takeaway from listening to it, like Carly Rae Jepsen, her music was a lot more sexual than I actually thought it would be. Like I didn't just yeah. come here to dance. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. If you know what I mean. <laughs> like I'm I'm here for it. I'm not at all mad about it. Here, learning learning this story about Party for One, which I didn't even know as a thing it's like okay yeah hell yeah go carly ray well yeah and the video is beautiful because the video is basically like it's it's this hotel and it just cuts to various rooms in this hotel with like there's an old woman in there there's uh there's a gay man who's clearly like i think you kind of get the idea he's a little closeted there's fat people there's you know all different races there's just people who are all different body types really feeling themselves and they don't explicitly show masturbation in any of the scenes but you you see them like dressing up real sexy and dancing around their hotel rooms and writhing around on their beds and you're like you go people with varying body types like it's very positive it's really affirming message and it's 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 a great like Carly Rae Jepsen has fantastic videos. I did not really put that in this in these notes, but I highly recommend all of her videos. They are all just like splendidly done, especially her lead singles. But um back to my back to what I was saying. Um I saw the video for Party for One and I was like, "Oh my god, I can't wait for this album to drop." Like that album dropped May of 2019, and I have blast I probably listened to Carly Rae Jepsen at least once a month like that's how much i adore her um and then even beyond that like i will say just talking about the choir like i have been struggling with my depression coming back 
since the quarantine started for, you know, various reasons. And one of the ways that I have consistently dealt with that alongside therapy and exercise uh, and writing. um, By the way, everyone, I'm back in therapy. It's great. Virtual therapy. It's awesome. Hey, BetterHelp, sponsor us. Um, (laughs) I will take a discount on my therapy as payment. Just saying. Um, But one thing that I do to deal with that is music and consist like... This morning, Andrew, this is a Saturday morning, I made breakfast for me and Stephanie, and I danced my ass off to Carly Rae Jepsen the entire morning, because Carly Rae Jepsen is just, like, an epitome of great, like, fantastic music for me, and it doesn't carry, like, I love Taylor Swift. I I legitimately do. I'm a Taylor Swift fan, but there's baggage there that I don't want to fuck with. I love Beyonce. There's baggage there that I don't want to fuck with. And I just... Something about Carly Rae Jepsen. The music is always... Even if it's not always positive. Even if it's a sad song or a slower... Like, Run Away With Me is a very sad song. But it's also just... It always... Makes me feel better. And I think that that's really... That's really special to me. As, as just, there, there aren't many artists I can put on that frequently, and I can legitimately keep my feelings for that. Uh, and Carly Rae Jepsen is one of the few, and I really, really wanted to talk about her. Mm. Especially now that I'm in the choir and I'm listening to her more than ever. Sure. And no, I appreciate that, man. And I, I thank you. And, and you know, I, I was trying to say it and put it into words earlier. Like, it's so happy without being like overdone and saccharine it it really does seem like just her music like somehow and i i say this as a credit to her and her songwriting and her music ability like it is just serotonin boosting it feels like like it just makes you want to groove and, and bop your head and, and you know we've got a a good friend of ours who has told me on more than one occasion that carly ray jepson is what he runs to like and this really is, yeah yeah, no, uh, Nathan, um, apparently, like, Carly Rae Jepsen is his workout music because it just gets him in the mood. I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. So I don't think I realized that. Eh, no, he's, he's told me at least, but I, I, I really appreciate you, like, Carly Rae Jepsen, like I said, I, I thought she was a completely different person for a long amount of time. And even after I came to understand, okay, no, they're, they're two separate entities. Miranda Cosgrove doesn't have a pop career that I know of. Uh, um, I still wasn't sitting here being like, okay, let me give this person a shot until you sent me a playlist. And it's like, okay, no, I can, I can, I can fucks with this. This is, this is something happy and joyous and like just takes the sads away in my head yeah. I really wanna stop but I just got the taste for it I feel like I can fly the moon. and I really I don't know what it is with Carly Rae Jepsen she has never been as successful as some of her contemporaries like I I bring up the Taylor Swift connection at the beginning and to you could argue that Taylor Swift over the course of like twice as many albums has done the same kind of evolution at least musically. Mm-hmm. She went from these like rootsy kind of country influences to more of a like to a more like keyboard heavy pop to a full-on synth heavy pop. 
Like, she did the same thing over more albums and is way more successful, way better known, way more, like, in the zeitgeist. But I think, like, Carly Rae Jepsen is a better musician. Like, she might not be... And the thing is, she's not exactly that interesting of a person as far as, like, the cult of celebrity is concerned. She's just, like, a Canadian lady who, like, does concerts for pride rallies and, like, occasionally will do, like, Grease Live or something like that, does an album every three to four years with a lot of really life-affirming, wonderful songs, and, like, like a Lady Gaga, she'll do her, like, queer anthem song, um, she'll do some, like, body positivity songs, but they're all just, like, bangers. She doesn't put any of that front and center. She's not, like, I don't know. She, she feels like someone who just is really great musician, writes kick-ass songs, tours, releases an album every few years, and is otherwise just, like, a nice, quiet person who just kind of chills, isn't really, like, involved with any major major dramas and isn't like so centrally famous as a lot of these other people are and that makes me sad like dedicated didn't do as well as emotion emotion didn't do as well as kiss she's decently successful but like i wish i could just get more people to listen to her shit because it's so great i'd argue better than a lot of the other artists i just mentioned but doesn't get it doesn't get the attention at least not in the US i don't maybe it's different in canada who the hell knows but do we have any canadian listeners who can tell us what carly <laughs> ray jepson is like out there we've got at least one i'll i'll reach out and i'll i'll put a feeler out to him um and i i will just say as somebody who has done multiple road trips through western canada and listened to like the radio yeah there is 100% like just different bands up there that I've never heard of that are like the pop singles. So it is totally possible that she is, you know, much more well-respected and and gets that attention she deserves um, in her home country. And I will just say, you you were saying how just like, she generally seems like such a nice person kind of, you know, keeps to herself, doesn't get into the drama, doesn't seem to be into this for the cult of personality. And all I could think is, Oh, how Canadian of her. (laughs) I will say that. Yeah. So Carly Rae Jepsen, you know, give her a look. Um, She's got four albums, uh, plus an album that's like B-sides off of Emotion, like a short EP. All of it's on Spotify. You can listen. You can listen to her whole catalog in an afternoon. Um, Feel free to skip Tug of War if you really just want to do the three albums. Um, But I highly recommend her, especially if you're just looking for good, danceable like feel good music that isn't just like like you said Andy it's not saccharin like it's not it's not crappy like feel good it's not the black eyed peas which i argue is shitty feel good music for the sake of being feel good huh I might do a hate on the Black Eyed Peas at some point, because I fucking hate the Black Eyed Peas. Not mad about that. If you wanna get down. Yeah, no. I was I was texting with your wife about how much I hate the song Don't Funk With My Heart the other day. 
because I hate that song with so much passion. <laughs> but um, but yeah, like that's feel good for the sake of feeling good. Um, this is feel good, but it's also just solid. It it has it deals with deeper themes. It's fun, but it's also thoughtful. It's hooky, but it's and it's danceable, and apparently you can run to it. And I love I love her. I love Carly Rae Jepsen. Like she is one of my favorite artists working today, and I think more people should listen to her. So that is my love, Andy. Would you like to take us to the to the dark side, as it were? Yes, for something completely different. <laughs> and so I'll I'll preface like. Sometimes I've got a hate that is, you know, burning in my soul. Sometimes I've got a hate that is just super pedantic and and silly and for me. And sometimes I just sit here and I think for like the, a morning, what do I want to talk about? What do I want to hate on? And then it hits me, which is what happened this time. So I'm going to talk about why I fucking hate Superman. All right, let's get into it. And and so to start off, um, I'm gonna throw your shtick back at you and ask you a question. But I I really want to know because this I think this will serve my purposes. Alex, what is your first memory of the character Superman? Um, hmm. It is definitely like the Cartoon Network stuff, and uh, I know you're gonna talk about the Max Fleischer cartoons. Uh, those might be my first memory, although I think more likely it was Cartoon Network reruns of the Hanna-Barbera Super Friends cartoons. Mm, sure, 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 sure. Which were bad. Very bad. And Superman in those was lame? Like, really lame? Like, he was never... Like, Batman was funnier than Superman in those cartoons. And it always seemed like someone was finding a way to make Superman, like, not either not there or if he was there physically weakened in order for him to, like, not be a factor in whatever was going on. Like, that or he would just, like... He'd be in situations where you'd go, okay, the writers clearly were just like, let's pretend Superman couldn't punch his way out of this immediately so that we have a plot. Alex, you mean to tell me that you found this character to be incredibly milquetoast and uh, impossible to write because of the very nature of his being? Gosh, interesting. Huh. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so my first memory of Superman is those Max Fleischer, like, super old, like, God, I don't even know when they were made, the 50s? Like... Uh, like, 40s, 50s, yeah. Yeah, yeah the old, like, 15-minute-ass Superman short cartoons that would air on Boomerang, which I somehow had on cable as a kid. I don't even know why. Um... And I was always frustrated because I was, you know, pre-kindergarten and didn't understand, like, why didn't the characters ever talk? Why was it just Superman fighting a volcano or maybe a giant robot and he punches it a bunch and then goes away? Why is this so boring to even me, a child with, like, just no concept of art or attention span? And little did I know that I had the right take on Superman, even in those young days. <laughs> So, 
I've talked about Daredevil. We've talked about the X-Men. And, you know, when I talked about Daredevil, we, we dove right into it and then had to go, wait, 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 wait. For anyone who doesn't know who Daredevil is, I feel like Superman needs very little premise. I just, it's baked in. You know, Superman is as American as apple pie and as, as recognizable as any comic book character can be, or at least he was for a time while we were growing up. So, so just in case, you know, Superman is the man of steel. He's the guy in the blue suit with the red Cape, with the big S on him. Um, you know, he was a comic book character created by Jerry Spiegel and Joe Schuster in 1938 for action comics. Number one, which I don't even think DC comics were a thing back then. And, I want to give them credit as the creators of the character, but I feel like mm-hmm. everybody knows Superman. Um, yeah. And, you know, my main takeaway for this hate is that at least in the modern day, which I'm going to go ahead and qualify as like the past 15-ish years, he has become an exceptionally boring and useless character. And I didn't even think about the Hanna-Barbera Justice Friends cartoon or super friends or whatever the hell it was called. Um, super friends, but, but you make my point so beautifully that even on a, you know, seventies cartoon show, it seemed like Superman was the most boring person on the show and also had to be like excessively written around to balance out his power set. That, that makes me happy that my point stands for more than just even the modern era. In the great hall of the Justice League, there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes, created from the cosmic legends of the universe. But so I want to do something a little different, and I'm going to pose to you what I feel like are the all-time best and most interesting Superman moments. And I want to see mm-hmm. if if there's anything you feel like I skipped. So thinking about Superman in a positive way, I think about the Christopher Reeves movies, specifically Superman and Superman 2, because, Great. well, all respect to Richard Pryor, um, three is a hot mess and four is somehow even worse. Um, we have the Crisis of Infinite Earths, which is one of the most epic comic stories of all time to the point where like DC made it in the eighties, I want to say, and continually will like go back to that well and draw elements from it. It is one of the most iconic stories and Superman is sort of the main icon role in that book. Um, ish. ish. Um, the next thing I was going to say was, uh, you know, probably the other, iconic Superman story, which was Mark Wade of my favorite daredevil run fame. Hey buddy, uh, Mark Wade's kingdom come, <laughs> mm-hmm. which illustrated by the brilliant Alex Ross. Yes. Illustrated and painted beautifully by Alex Ross and also kind of a scapegoat loophole because it is an alternate history and, you know, basically all of the themes explored with Superman as a character like Elseworld books, which is the word that is used for like, okay, it's Superman and Batman, but they're cowboys or, you know, yada, yada, yada. Specifically, Kingdom Come isn't in the proper canon. It's supposed to be 
like you know the last superhero book so in a way it kind of jumps over my own point and isn't really about superman but i'm I'm still just gonna go ahead and put it because it's probably the most important superman story in my opinion ever mm-hmm. sure um going back into the movies he, uh, henry cavill's man of steel and specifically not justice league and not batman versus superman because mm-hmm. i think that really illustrates my point of how like we don't know what to do with superman anymore Man of Steel was a really good movie, I felt like. It was it was a really refreshing, like, okay, reboot of the Superman story. And even then, I think the biggest takeaway people have about Man of Steel is the, oh my god, we made Superman kill somebody, he can't be Superman now, um, backlash that that movie faced. Um, and then finally, going back into comic books, um, Grant Morrison's All-Star Superman, which I feel like... What? You've talked about. Which is great. Yeah. I have. I've argued that All-Star Superman is... All-Star Superman might be, I think, the best writing of Superman. At least that I can recall um, as far as just being... number. Well, it is a last Superman story of sorts. And it... Yeah, you know what? Because it emphasizes what I've always argued is the tragedy of Superman... Which is the fact that he can do everything, but he can't save everyone. Um, there's a definite message of like hopeful nihilism in that story that really speaks to me. I, like you, have never been a huge Superman fan, but I do very much love that particular story. Sure, and and, and so I'll give that. And, and that's specifically why I capped off my quote-unquote modern take as being in the past 15 years because All-Star Superman came out around 2004. And, and yeah. so those five points, I would say, are like all you would ever need to know about Superman in five stories. And, mm-hmm. and, and I want to ask you if you think I've missed anything. So I actually have three Superman stories that I would challenge you to think about. Okay. As far as because I for context, um. I, I, I have never been a huge Superman fan, ever. Uh, my attitude on him has softened in more recent years, though I'm still not a fan. I, I don't hate him really anymore because I have seen him used well. That said, he's very difficult to use well. Uh, three stories where I feel he's used well. Have you read Alan Moore's For the Man Who Has Everything? I have not. Okay. It was made into a Justice League Unlimited episode. But it is an episode where, um, or, or it is a comic where it's a, it's like a one or two shot Alan Moore story. But it, the idea is Superman is, uh, it's his birthday. Batman and Wonder Woman come to uh, visit him in the Fortress of Solitude on his birthday. And they arrive and find that Mongol is there. Mongol being, you know, one of the big bad cosmic villains. Uh, I don't know if he's a Superman villain specifically, but think, he might be. I think he started as one, and just to get completely tangential, um, for any comics fans who haven't read it, um, the Green Lantern Corps, especially the Jeff Johns run, um, there is a 
my, my favorite Mongol moments come out of that. So I, he started as a Superman villain. He did definitely become just like a greater DC cosmic villain. Okay. So Mongol is there and Mongol has tricked Superman into opening this, uh, this package, which contained this plant and the plant like latches onto you and then causes you to go into this like catatonic state where you don't move, you can't see anything of the world around you, and your brain is occupied with this fantasy of your greatest desires. So the comic switches into these two perspectives, one of which is Wonder Woman and Batman trying to free Superman and fight Mongol, and the other is the inside of Superman's brain as he's dealing with this fantasy where he's actually alive on Krypton, his family is alive, his parents are alive, he's married, he has a child... It's like, he's not Superman, he's Kal-El on Krypton, and it's this whole beautiful fantasy sequence, and at the end of it, and throughout the time, he's like, this doesn't feel right, something doesn't feel right here, I don't know what's going on here, I have these vague memories of, like, another thing, and, like, I know that it's just a dream that I've been having, but... I'm I something doesn't feel right and oh my god it's turns and, and like he eventually figures out that it's all fake and then like the last moment before the plant is removed from him like Batman successfully removes the plant by grafting it onto himself instead which like Batman's fantasy is just his parents not being murdered it's it's heartbreaking um like his whole fantasy is him as an 8-year-old boy and his dad beats the shit out of the mugger in the alley yeah um yeah. That's ba- that's Batman's entire fantasy. Like, um, but that's besides the point. Superman comes out of it, and the last thing he sees is like the child that he had, admitting to him, like, "We're not really real, are we, Father?" It's like, "No, no, we're not." And it's beautiful and tragic. And huh. the whole point of that is just, yeah, that's a beautiful Superman story. Okay. So I highly recommend that. Uh, there is Hereafter, which is an which is not a, based on a comic. It is specifically an episode of. Uh, one of the Justice League cartoons, and it is uh, a a conglomeration of Superman villains are trying to take him down, and at one point, it's Toy Man shoots him with a beam that he thinks disintegrates him, and everyone thinks that Superman is dead. What it actually did was send Superman into the far-off future, where the Earth is a barren wasteland, and there he encounters a living Vandal Savage. Yes. The Earth has gone red. The Earth has changed form, so it's now red, so Superman doesn't have his powers. He encounters Vandal Savage and is just like, I, like, Vandal Savage killed everyone and is now, like, humbled and by himself and is just, like, in in his own atonement. By the way, I love Vandal Savage, so that's a big reason why I think of this story. But over the course of it, Superman figures out, like, with Savage how to go back in time for himself and, you know, stop Savage and return. But that is a wonderful Superman story that isn't about him being Superman. It's just about him, like, fostering a human connection. So I would argue that's a great Superman story. Okay. And then and then there is what I consider my favorite Superman story of all time. And it's from the Superman animated series. It's an episode called The Late Mr. Kent. And I have a straight up Twitter thread that I sent to DC where I'm like, have this idea, DC. This should be your next Superman movie because it's the best Superman story that was ever done. And it's an episode of Superman, the animated series where Clark Kent 
is trying to uh, get enough evidence to get a guy who was wrongfully placed on death row uh, exonerated before he's executed. And over the course of doing, over the course of investigating it, while he's driving in his car as Clark Kent, his car explodes because someone planted a bomb in it trying to kill him. Someone who didn't know Clark Kent was Superman. Uh, and his car goes into the water, and of course he survives because he's Superman, but he can't fly out because he sees that, there are, that there's a witness there who might see Superman fly out when Clark Kent's car went into the water. So he's like, I need to not fly out where I can be seen, so it looks like Clark Kent is dead. So then, as Superman, he has to help Lois solve Clark's murder. And it's it's a great... It's 22 minutes. It's so short. But it is... There is so much in that story because the, the very premise is this is a problem that Superman cannot punch his way out of. If he... He has to try and solve this murder, solve this other murder that he was trying to solve as Clark, not let on to Lois that he is Clark, somehow figure out a way to show that he is not dead as Clark so he can come back. Because if he reveals himself, then his entire secret identity is exposed and he can never be Clark again. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a situation that Superman and Clark have to think their way out of rather than punch their way out of. I argue it is the best Superman story that has been done maybe of, maybe at least since All-Star Superman or like except for All-Star Superman. And I think it would make a great movie and it's brilliant. And the thing that I realize about all of these is all of these Superman stories that I just quoted to you, Andrew, are non-traditional ones. They're ones that don't involve Superman doing anything with his powers that don't involve him dealing with a regular villain. They all involve him dealing with out of the ordinary circumstances. And that, and yeah, and, and, and I'm not mad about any of those, but that is like part of my point. Like with, with all respect to Jerry, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, like, and granted it was the late thirties. Ideas were new. Ideas were coming fresh. Like just the character who is stronger and nobler and always on the side of justice and is the boy scout who can punch his way through anything is something that is really easy to run that well dry. And all of the best Superman stories that have come out besides the ones I listed are either alternate realities where Superman is evil looking at red sun or looking at the injustice sure. comic series. Sure. Or they're actually about Superman's rogues gallery, dark side, Lex Luthor, Mr. Mixelplex, Mongol, Vandal Savage, all arguably are more interesting characters with something more fun to explore. Like, like Batman's rogues gallery is so appealing because they're all dark reflections of Batman. Superman's rogues gallery is so appealing because they're all just straight up more interesting than Superman. Okay. I appreciate your take. And, and I, I really think in order to salvage this character for me, it, it needs to become something that is like 
fundamentally changing about the character. You know, I, I completely forgot the late Mr. Kent. And I think that is a fantastic story that you could never get made into a movie because executives are so worried about like actually telling the, the blatant Superman tale before, you know, getting into something that is actually interesting, like a Clark Kent story. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I've watched Supergirl and I enjoy it. I haven't gotten to the part where Superman actually shows up in Supergirl, which admittedly is like season two, but like mm-hmm. Captain America used to be such a boring character. Cause it was like, okay, yeah, he's, he's the paragon of righteousness. He always does the good noble thing. And then throughout the course of the Marvel movies, Chris Evans was actually able to make Captain America interesting and compelling and fun. I understand that reference. Like, and maybe it's just a factor of the DC movie universe is so inferior. Maybe it's a factor of just for the longest time, nobody knew what to do with Superman in the comics. Like I argue that since all-star Superman or the bat, the, the like original Batman and Superman run, no one has known what to do with the character to the mm-hmm. point where Brian Michael Bendis is now writing him. And I, I, I got a bone or two to pick with Brian Michael Bendis, but the, the man can at least like force his own idea into something and make it work. Mm-hmm. The last thing I um, paid any attention to in modern Superman comics, there was some sort of, again, alternate reality, evil Superman who had like captured main good Superman and trapped him on a planet and said, if you ever leave here, I'll kill you. And it was, it was something about that. I'm really not up to speed with modern Superman comics. Cause it's just so hard to care. The most interesting thing Superman has done in the movies is almost get casted as uh, Michael Jordan or um, John Cho, which I mean, shit, mm-hmm. I'd be here for either of those, but I'd be worried about the emphasis on stunt casting. I mean, yeah, I have legitimately argued that like people, people like to argue about uh, race changing certain comic book characters. Superman is a character that would legitimately be made more interesting by being cast as a minority. And I do a hundred percent agree with that. I, I'm just, I, I think more about how, like, even if you have the good intentions and it would be a way to get to a more interesting story, the hype of the situation would just be the casting more than the actual story or the character. Sure. Um, let me ask you this, uh, because you, you, you've referenced uh, Siegel and Schuster a few times. Siegel and Schuster's original version of Superman wasn't so overpowered. He was bulletproof. Which is to say he was, to a degree, uh, impervious, uh, or at least hyper-durable, and he had super strength. And that was it. He was basically kind of—his powers were kind of equivalent to the Hulk's. Actually, probably a little more limited than the Hulk's. Do you think he works better in a capacity like that? Like, how much of it is his overpoweredness and how much of it is his Boy Scoutness? I think it's much more the overpoweredness and, and you know, I, I, the Hulk ran through my mind as we've been talking because the Hulk at least 
half of the time has the, the Hulk always has one of two handicaps. Either it's he's all brawn and no brains, or if we're dealing with a version of the Hulk that actually is um, intelligent, it's usually that he's also crazy and, and grappling with, am I Bruce Banner or am I the Hulk? Um, side note, Immortal Hulk is inspired and an amazing comic series that I highly recommend people read because it very much goes into how broken Bruce Banner is as a person. Um, sure. And, and I mean, I don't know. I, I don't have any desire to make my Superman pitch to salvage the character. I wonder if Bendis can do that. I wonder if the DC movies can figure their shit out enough to make him marketable again. I wonder if the guy who plays Superman in the Supergirl TV show is actually pretty good. Cause I frankly have no idea. Mm-hmm. I just, I can't stomach a boring character <laughs> and, and at his core, that is what Superman has become to me. The again to me, as someone who is fine with Superman, and again, I'm fine with him. I have never, I don't think I have ever really like wanted to deeply follow a Superman book. Like, even when good writers were writing him, I'm just like, cool, Superman's here, that's fine. I'll buy the occasional graphic novel by a writer I like, but. And J. Michael Straczynski wrote the Superman Earth One comics, and those are solid. Those are actually pretty interesting because Superman's kind of a dick in them. Um, and there is a moral question at the heart of those books of him, like, whether or not he wants to accept the mantle of being Superman. Cool. An argument that I have said before or I have pitched before is if you want to make Superman interesting, kill Clark Kent and make Connor the new Superman. You know, I got Promotes. all I got all the time for Connor Kent. He he was an interesting yeah. character. Yeah, I think I really think that because Connor Kent, he has the dur- he has basically the Superman powers of the original Superman. He's hyper durable and has super strength, but he can't fly. He can't shoot. He can't shoot the beams. He doesn't have ice breath or any of the other stuff. He's got some of the. He he does have X ray vision, but he doesn't have like heat vision. Like, he's he's basically, you know, uh, again, he's kind of like a Hulkish character. He's also a little darker, a little angrier, a little more brutish, and has a different moral code than his cousin does. So, mm, I think I, that's a pitch that I have thrown out more than once. Like, Connor Kent would be, just kill just kill Clark and make and have Connor take up the mantle. Do the Wally West thing. I really do think that would be the best way to immediately make that character more interesting. But much like with Bruce Wayne and Batman, there's people who want to just keep that one looking the same way at all right. times. You there? Yeah. No, yeah, I, I, I was agreeing. And and God, wow. It, it, it took to the end here to really make it click in my head. But maybe that's really what my problem is. We're, we're going back to just the ever-present problem I have with comic books is... We're not allowing the character to change. And we've been telling the same story, kind of, sort of, since 1938. So yeah, yeah. I, I would welcome anything, 
anything that breathes life into the character in a more lasting permanent way and and, and maybe that's what it does take so I, I i would i would sit down and 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 read the connor kent superman story that's that's for sure i would sit down and watch the michael b jordan superman movie and and see do they explore the themes of race and actually try to tell something interesting so yeah it, it, it took us to the end i want to wrap up into our question but i guess that's really what my main problem is the reason he's so boring is we won't allow the character to change for once comics writers stop going into the well of what you thought was cool as a kid and and dare to make something new i i will say i a lot of times i think i'm less worried about the writers because at this point we've got enough writers who grew up with who grew up reading all-star superman who grew up watching the animated show who have seen these other other conceits of him i think it comes down to dc editorial to be honest they don't want to let go of this one version because they think it's the only way they're going to have mass market appeal and that's sad that is very sad that's the same thing that took away you know the more interesting moments of magneto over at marvel or kept batman from properly evolving sure you know it's just it's sad i don't think we're gonna get a solution really um I would like to see more interesting Superman stories. I've always preferred Batman. I've always thought Batman was a more interesting character. I have read interesting Superman stories, but all the interesting Superman stories are feats of engineering by brilliant writers. It's hard to make a competent Superman story that's actually fucking interesting. Yeah. Well said. Shall we get into our question? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, would you like to read this one or shall I? This is actually from like the real world. I know it's been a half a second and I very much appreciate uh, our dear listener for writing in. Uh, I'll, I'll go yeah. ahead and do it. Okay, cool. Hey there, Alex and Andy. So I've got a little bit of a doozy. Like the rest of the world, I'm stuck in my apartment for a good 99.99% of the time until things get better. Stuck with my now ex-boyfriend of nine months. We moved in together in February, right before things started getting bad because our circumstances lined up, and we agreed that it was a smart decision, uh, probably smarter, smarter decision than doubling our living costs by getting separate places. And things just haven't worked out. There's no cheating, no abuse, and the breakup was a joint agreement, but I was the one who put it on the table. I think we just rushed into the relationship a bit too quickly, and now I'm stuck with an incredibly awkward roommate. Thanking God we got a two-bedroom situation. Okay, yeah, that is good. Um, How can we cohabitate while we are stuck with each other in a way that doesn't suck half the time, and what do you think our options are once things get back to normal? Thanks, and looking forward for my name. Okay. Thinking about names for this person. Um, By the way, we should... I should mention... um, I took the email for this, and it looks like they do uh, with, with the with the names that I got off of it. It looks like they do identify with she/her pronouns. Okay. So I think we are looking at a cis woman. That might be an unfair assumption, but they did not state anything more explicit than that, and that's what I've got from the info I have. Okay. So that's not to say we have to necessarily give her a cis woman moniker, but that's there. 
I'm trying to think of names. Do you have anything off the top of your head? I'm trying to think of famous awkward roommates. You remember that episode of um, It's Always Sunny when Mac lived with Dennis? Vaguely, though if you're going to talk about awkward roommates and Always Sunny, why wouldn't you talk about uh, Charlie and Frank? That's a good point. Uh, huh. Yeah, I'm not. So here's the here's the question: If we're dealing with this, uh, is our writer Frank Reynolds or is our writer what is Charlie Day's character's last name in Always Sunny? I don't know if he has one. To be perfectly honest, I think he's just Charlie. Mm, looking this up, looking this up. Cast character Charlie Kelly. Of. So we've got Charlie Kelly or Frank Reynolds. I kind of want our re- our the person writing in to be Charlie Kelly because a, um, I feel like that's a more gender neutral name. Yeah. Also, b, it's funnier to picture the roommate being Frank Reynolds. Yeah, yeah, I got no problems with that. Hi, Charlie. <laughs> Hi, Charlie. How are you? It's a nice table. This is a big night for us. We're celebrating our anniversary, or the anniversary of us moving in together, Dang. which is like an anniversary. It's been a long time. It's an anniversary. It's what it is. God, and, and we've already just infected this with the poison that is uh, Charlie and Frank's relationship. <laughs> oh God, who did poop the bed? Oh man. Okay, but um, so you want to go ahead and go first, man? Yeah, yeah, I'll go first. So, hello there, Charlie. Um. Thank you for writing in. Uh, we really do appreciate it. Uh, I will say up front, it is slightly tricky to address anything in particular since you mostly just emphasize the awkwardness of this and say, and you don't mention anything specifically that's not really working out with the two of you. Uh, but I will try and answer this kind of generally. And I'm going to start from the end of your question, actually. Uh, as far as your options, once things go back to quote-unquote normal, I think you basically just need to see where you are at the end of it. Uh, you two moved in together back in February before things started getting bad. Um, so you've been living together for... The timeline here is a little murky because you say that you broke up you've been broken up for nine months you know we just got this email in april so working backwards i think that means you broke up in july of last year oh i took been that living together I, since I, I took that to mean they'd been together for nine months oh okay gotcha so then i assume you oh so then you broke up recently and you're living together you've been living together for two months oh boy <laughs> So, once things get back to normal, frankly, um, I'm going to be honest with you, Charlie. You look at getting out. You do. It it sucks breaking a lease. I understand that. Um, I don't know about you, Andy, but I definitely have an association in my head that, like, breaking a lease is one of the worst things you can possibly do, like, fucking ever. But honestly, you pay a fee. Hopefully the fee's not absolutely insane. At most, it's usually a month's rent. But you pay a lease-breaking fee, and then you leave. If you honestly cannot afford that, and that might be the case given the Quar situation, um, maybe looking for a subletter to take over the lease for you. That's always a solid option. Sure. 
Um, I don't know any there. Honestly, unless you're in a situation like a lot of my clients where you're receiving some kind of public assistance for your rent, sublets are pretty much always on the table. So when this is over, just focus on finding somebody to take over your lease. Or if you can afford it, break your lease and just get out, find your own place, do whatever you can with it. Um, that's honestly the best thing. You can even start looking for that, you know, as things start winding down quar-wise and, you know, start putting it out there. But that's that's the thing to do. I understand not wanting to move during the quarantine. Uh, I know a lot of people who are moving during the quarantine, actually. Again, I work with these people. That's part of my job. But I understand not recommending it, not wanting to do it. But that is also an option. If you if this is so terrible, you need to you just need to get the hell out. Moving is, in most places, a valid reason to leave and to be out and about. Um, so that's those are those are some those are two things you could do at the end of this, and one thing you can do if this gets horrible. As to how you can cohabitate, this is gonna suck because this is your ex, but communication and boundaries, over and over and over again, communication and boundaries uh you've got two different bedrooms that's awesome um figure out if you can't stand the sight of each other figure out a schedule for your co-living spaces and the rest of the time you stay to your rooms except that it will be miserable to start with or even to end with it might be miserable throughout but the point is not to thrive right now the point is just to survive and get through so talk about the boundaries talk about when you'll be in this space, when you'll be in the other space, um, kitchens, living room situations, any other public spaces you have. I don't know if you have separate bathrooms as well, but that's definitely a thing that you're going to want to be talking about because I think kitchen, correct me if I'm wrong, Andy, but like kitchens and bathrooms are probably the two biggest, like I have a problem with my roommate topics. I mean, I would agree with that. I mean, it, it's like I said, I mean, thank God it is a two bedroom apartment with, with that off the table, then yeah, kitchens and bathrooms. Yeah. So, I mean, basically I, I'm not saying pull a Marsha Brady, Charlie, and divide the room with like a thing of tape down the middle or divide the apartment, but you know, figure out your boundaries, figure out what's going to be okay. What's not going to be okay. I assume you two are no longer physical with one another. That is definitely, I'm trying to think of like major core issues. And for me, I'm very much a physical person. And the fact that I haven't physically seen many people who aren't the couple of coworkers who are there the couple of times a week that I go into the office and my partner means I am somewhat starved for that particular type of human contact. If you are someone like that, or if your ex-boyfriend, if Frank is someone like that, that's going to cause some stress that I think you two are going to need to be able to talk about. Basically, at the end of the day, you two need to be having conversations, which sucks because you're not dating anymore and it means everything is awkward, but I think you need to get your awkwardness up front to try and avoid awkwardness down the line. Yeah. Andy, anything to add to that? Yeah, because, I mean, that's kind of where I was leaning. Um, there's there's a lot I wish we did get a little more 
in-depth info on Charlie. And, and I mean, still thank you for writing in, but with the information we have, I don't know if you've already had a come to Jesus talk with Frank, with your roommate, with your ex, but a, you know, a very closing the loop. Here's why it didn't work out. And, and you point out that, you know, it was a joint discussion, but you prompted it, I believe is what you said. Um, mm-hmm. I think you got to try to kill the awkwardness while accepting that it's going to be there for a little bit, but you can cut this thing off at the pass. And if you haven't already have like, you know, a sit down long, hard conversation about, listen, here's why the relationship didn't work. Here's why I think we, we went too fast. Our circumstances being what they are. And now we're stuck together. Like that definitely is shitty and, and crappy. Um, I want to know if, how, how well you knew your ex before you got together, because if it was very much at all, you could try to lean into, listen, we were friends. Here's why we were friends. Here's the thing that we got along. Just let's agree to work together to try to get back to that. At least until the quarantine is over. If this is somebody you really didn't know, then that bit becomes a bit more harder, but I think you need to have the courage to have that conversation. And, you know, it's a trust thing with your roommate where they need to be accepting enough to really try to just give, okay, you're my roommate. You're my friend a shot. Um, I, I knew somebody who this, this was like a year ago, so they didn't have these extenuating circumstances, but this basically happened to them where some, they had moved in with the person they were seeing and then the relationship fell apart and that person did wind up like subletting the room out. So that totally is an option. I I think Alex brings up a good point of you can always move me being the optimist. I kind of hope that you guys can work something out and lean into the friendship and, and it's still going to be weird for a couple of weeks, but then hopefully you move past it. Hopefully the quarantine ends and you can both see other people and, yeah. you know, get that out of your system. Um, yeah. but if not, then yeah, it, it, I, I you and I are going to talk about this afterwards, Alex, but I really want to break down why you say breaking a lease is the worst thing you can do. I, I mean, it sucks. It, the, the financial hit is, uh, very daunting, but I, really have no qualm with breaking a lease. Um, no, no, no. I said, I said that a lot of us grow up thinking that breaking a lease is the worst thing. Okay. Got it. And that it really isn't like, yeah, it just, it sucks. It's bad. Um, it might possibly hit your credit, although I don't really think it will. Um, maybe check your local laws about that, but. And I just wonder, uh, I, it's just expensive. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I wonder, you know, it could it could fall either way once we get to the quote unquote new normal. Um, you know, it could be that there are so many places trying to um, bring in new tenants that it becomes really easy to find a new place. It could be that 
you know, your, your landlord or the leasing agency or whoever is trying to like, just make a fresh start. You could claim some sort of extenuating circumstance for why you are breaking your lease related to the quarantine. And maybe you can get something along that way. And, and yeah, you don't mention your, your financial situation. So you might be in a real bit of a bind. Um, and I guess that's also part of why I just, I, I try to lean into, listen, yes, it's awkward. The way to get that awkward is to address it head on and just try to be friends with your, your ex, your roommate moving forward. If you can't do that, then, you know, try to move out. And if moving out really is a hard option, figure out what your friends can be doing. You know, does, does Dennis or Mac or D have a couch? They don't mind you crashing on for a couple months while you're getting back on your feet. But in either case, thank you again so much for writing in Charlie. We really hope that this has been helpful. It, it is as always perfectly unqualified. But if you have a relationship question and you want that unqualified advice, it can be, uh, you know, quarantine related. It doesn't have to be. It can be about an ex or a current relationship. Again, it doesn't have to be. Um, it can be about a coworker. It can be about an animal. It can be about any anything that is a relationship, not just a romantic one. You can send those in like Charlie did to love hate relationship podcast at gmail.com. And as you see, we promise to read them and we do. Yeah. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or even tune in radio. Emma. Uh, we would also love it. Absolutely adore it. Uh, and I'm pretty sure most of you have time to do this. Uh, if you reviewed us on any or all of those, uh, you can also tweet us at LHR pod. That's LHR P O D with your questions. And you can follow us there to keep up with new episodes. You can follow me, Andy Bowell, at JoboCop2113, or you can also listen to my other podcast, Cult Fiction, that where I watch movies with the incomparable Stephanie Johnson, uh, and you can find Cult Fiction uh, on all those other places that Alex just listed. You can find Love, Hate, Relationship. Yeah. Uh, and I'm at A underscore X underscore R-U-I-Z on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, brand new, uh, thanks to the Quar TikTok. Yeah! God help us all. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening, y'all. I'm on TikTok now. Please tell your enemies. At some point, it would be hilarious if you went through all of our, like raw audio and just took like smash cut all of the me hitting and going i'm recording hit just hit record hit record okay i'm recording now i'm recording and i'm recording and just like smash cut them all together that'd be hilarious if we and and this would work out because it would probably be next year if we had an episode that like fell on an april fool's day that's what (laughs) i love it okay all right sync clap coming in three two one sweet